Could we stand together in honor of God's word? We are in a series called After God's Heart. And uh, today we are, we are going to talk about Saul. And, and usually when we think about Saul, we think negative. We think this is a bad example. This is what I don't want to be. And we will talk all about his fall from grace next week. But he starts out very good, and what we're going to speak today is something very positive from Saul's story. And so, uh, and I know I've already got you standing. I need to give you just a little brief before we read this, okay? Here's the story. Saul's dad, Kish, has lost his donkeys, He can't find them, so he gets Saul, and he says, I want you and this servant to go look for my donkeys. And so they go for three days. They go all through the land of Benjamin. They're not in the land of Benjamin. They go into the land of Zuf, and three days have passed, and the servant says, or Saul says, we need to get back without the donkeys. My dad's going to start worrying about me. And the servant says, hey, there's a prophet here, a seer. Maybe he can help us with the donkeys. So they go towards the city where the seer is, and here we are. Pick up the story. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, but I am not a Benjamite. Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you have a word I believe directly out of heaven today. Would you hide me behind the cross? Help me, Lord, not to be overly energized lest people think it's me and not you. Um, We need to hear what you want to speak today. Would you please, please help us both live and those that are online Lord, would you transcend all of our distractions and may we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. God, we love you, we honor you, and we'll give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. After God's heart, calling. Point one, Samuel knew God called Saul. Saul thinks this is about the lost donkeys. My dad has lost some donkeys. It's all about these lost donkeys. And that's what I'm looking for is lost donkeys. 
Samuel knows first, the lo- it was never about the lost donkeys. The lost donkeys were a tool to get Saul over to Samuel. It was always about the bigger purpose. God is doing something. God is going to anoint this king. And so the lost donkeys were actually a means to an end. But isn't God gracious? God doesn't say to him, the the donkeys are unimportant. Get your mind off the donkeys. You know what he says? The donkeys have been found. He assures him about the donkeys. And then he tells him about the bigger purpose, the real purpose that God has brought him all this way. Friends, it seems like there's a lot going on in our lives right now, a lot of circumstances. I want to encourage you, don't get your eyes fixed on the lost donkeys. Don't get your eyes fixed on the circumstances, and this is happening, and that's happening, this is happening. Listen, there's a higher purpose in this hour. God is using circumstances in this hour because he wants to speak to his church. He's brought them to a place where he can anoint his church. Don't Rise up above the lost donkeys and see the purpose of God in this hour. He wants you to know something. He cares about your life. He cares about your circumstances. He knows about them. He does not say, your regular life is unimportant to me. Get your mind off of it. Here's what he says to you. I'm going to take care of your lost donkeys. But I need you to come higher. Where does he say this? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He doesn't say the other things of life that we need are unimportant. He says they just can't be the middle. The middle has to be what God is doing, what God is saying, what God's purpose is. He'll take care of it. He'll help you with the other things. He knows you need them. The father, he's a good, good father, but don't make your life about the other things. Samuel believes that Saul is called before Saul does. Matthew 22, verse 14. Many are called and few are chosen. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Here's the truth. Mankind is more broken by sin than we think. Sin has so broken mankind that mankind can't even see God without God's help. Mankind cannot choose God on his own that God actually has to come first and call us. He has to come and call. He has to come knocking. This is, this is what's going on on this planet right now. This is God's narrative of what's going on right now. God loves people. Jesus died for people. 
And so right now, Jesus is in the world, not just saving those who repent. He is seeking those who haven't yet repented. He is coming by his grace, and he's calling people, and he's knocking on their door, and that's what's going on. That's what this life is about right now. People think this is about God's judgment. Listen, it's not about God's judgment. John three seventeen: the son did not come into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. The, the son came into the world to save the world. This is what is on God's heart, saving people. But listen to me. The world is not going to believe this if we don't believe it first. They're not, going to be, they're not going to interpret their life that, oh, God's trying to get my attention. Oh, God loves me. Oh, God, this is, this is God, God working in my circumstances so that I'll open up to him. No, you're going to have to believe that first. You're going to, have, you're going to be the one to interpret. They're going through stuff. Their, their daughter is thinking about suicide. Their, their friend is depressed. They are going through anxiety attacks. They have got a marriage problem. And that's what they think their life is about is this problem. And so they, they come to you and you're the one that says, yeah, God does care about your marriage. He cares about your depression. He cares about your anxiety. But they, there's something more going on. There's a higher narrative. God is getting your attention. Because he loves you. He's, he's given you a problem. You can't solve yourself. Why? Because you need a savior. And it took this. He's drawing you. This isn't about just the circumstances of loss in your life. God wants to use them to bring you because he loves you. He's brought you there. Now here's the thing. If you don't believe that narrative over their life, they will never believe it. Church has to believe it first. Do you see why it's so important that you believe for yourself that God loves you, that God's heart is to redeem you and to save you, and this is about God wanting intimacy with you? If you don't believe it for you, friend, you're never going to believe it for the world. This is what's going on. This is the divine romance. Jesus is proposing to the human race. Pastor Tom, I've been out there. It doesn't look like that. No, it doesn't. So somebody's got to see that narrative. Somebody has got to own what the Bible is saying, believe it, and bring it into the pain and loss of this world. If you don't believe it, if Samuel doesn't believe it, Saul will never believe it. All right, that's point one. Point two. So first, Samuel knew God called Saul, and then secondly, Saul knew God was calling him. So here's, here's 1 Samuel 10, 1 through 8. We don't have time to read it. I'll just tell you what happened. So they come to this feast, and Samuel takes a flask of oil, and he pours it over Saul. You're going to be the next king. And then he says, God's giving you signs so that you believe it. Sam- Saul doesn't believe it right away. He says, I'm the least of the least of the least. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. It's the smallest tribe. My clan, my family is the smallest clan within it. I'm the, I'm the, the least in my house. It couldn't be true. It couldn't be true that, that I'm the one. And Samuel pours this oil over him, and he says, now, I'm going to give you three signs that are going to happen to you when you leave here. Number one, you and your servant are going to run into two men on the side of the road. And then he tells them exactly the conversation that these guys are going to say to them. He gives them the very words that they are going to say to him. That's going to happen first. Then you're going to meet three guys. 
And he describes to them in detail what these guys are carrying. And he says that there's three guys and they're going to give you two loaves of bread. I mean, this is extremely specific. This is how it's going to come to pass. Okay? After you go on from the three guys, you're going to run into a group of men that are prophets. And they're going to be prophesying, and while you're with them, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come on you, and you're going to prophesy, prophesy, and you're going to become a a different person. You're, You're going to be amazed at what happens. He says, this is all going to happen when you leave here. And they are signs to you. You are called. He said, after these signs are fulfilled, just go and do whatever's in your heart. But God wants you to know that you, you are called. He wants you to know it. So I'm, I'm taking people, teaching people the bridge. I've got a group of people that I'm teaching the bridge to, how to share the bridge. I've got three young men that I meet with privately that I'm, I'm doing the same thing. And, and here's, here's one of the things that I teach them that when a person says they're the one at the door that wants to get saved and wants to pray the prayer, pray the prayer with them, and I give them the prayer to pray so that they can lead them in the prayer. But then I say the most important thing is not that prayer. It's what happens after that prayer. After you're done leading them in the prayer, so they they pray the prayer, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, come into my heart, da-da-da-da-da. Then then comes the most important part. You say, now I would like to pray for you, and you put your hand on them, and you pray from the bottom of their heart, from your heart, that God will give them a witness. Here's here's Romans 8, 16. That his witness, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's. Guys, you can't give someone else confidence that they're saved. The Holy Spirit has to give them confidence. And oftentimes, because we're religious people, we'll say prayers and we'll repeat stuff and we'll do stuff. Listen, we need more than a religious prayer or religious error. We need the witness of the Holy Spirit. They need to know that they know that they know God has heard. So a young lady I, I, I led to Christ, this, not this last week, the week before that, she praised the prayer, and I said, now I need to pray. And I just prayed from the bottom of my heart, God, come. Give her a witness. She, she needs to know it. And Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can give that witness. Amen. I look up. She's got this huge smile on her face. I said, do you think God heard that? She said, I know God heard that prayer. See, confidence is very important to somebody's growth. If you don't have confidence that you're the one called, then it's going to be very hard to grow because you're going to keep performing and try to be called, try to be good enough. This isn't about good enough. This is about God loves you and Jesus died for you and the Holy Spirit wants to come in and bring Jesus and make it all real to you. He wants to meet with you. What I said to this young lady, and I teach this to our people, then I told her this, I want you to go home. I want you to go all the, over all of these verses. I make sure that people have a Bible that they can read. I want you to go over all of those verses. And then I want you to pray again to accept Christ. And here's why. I don't want the enemy ever to be able to tell you, you only did this because Pastor Tom was there. Or this was really Pastor Tom more than me. I, you need to, this needs to be your faith. 
You need to own it. It's not enough that I believe you're called. You need to believe you're called. That's point two. Here's point three. Israel knew that God had called Saul. So this is 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 24. Once again, we're not, we don't have time to look at it. How are you going to convince all of Israel that Saul is God's choice? Not, not Samuel's choice. Not Saul didn't choose himself, but God himself has chosen him. Well, they had a way to do it. It's called drawing lots. They did it for the land. There was no argument over the land. When they got into the promised land, they put the 12, they split it up into 12 portions. They put it into a basket and they drew. Oh, Judah, you get here. Uh, yep, Gad, you get over there. Yep, Reuben, you're over there. They, they, they drew lots so that no one would politically manipulate or bribe or there was none of that. It was just, you just drew lots. So, so Samuel calls all of Israel together at Mizpah. They're all gathered. He says, let's get uh, 12 tribes. Let's get all 12 tribes in the basket. We're going to see who God chooses. So they get the basket out, and he has somebody pull the name, and that's tribe of Benjamin. Oh, okay. So now let's write out all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin. So they put those in the basket, and they pull one out. Oh, tribe of, uh, or the, the clan of Matri. Okay. Now let's put all of the families in, in that clan in there. Oop. Kish, all right, now let's put all of Kish's kids in there. Boop, Saul. So that they'll know that Samuel didn't choose Saul. They'll know that Saul did not self-promote to get in there, but that God himself chose it. Samuel's absolutely confident that we don't need to worry about lots because this is God. God has chosen this. This was God's idea from the beginning, not mine. We, we're going to convince all of Israel. Here's what I've learned about that. People don't want to be part of something that they think man is doing. They don't want to be part of something. In fact, we're very suspicious of man's manipulations, man's hype, man's... We're all a little burned out from marketing. And so there's a little cynicism in us. Is this, is this really God or is this just the pastor or the leadership? And is it really about their ego or is it... And, and, and people don't... They just don't want to be part of something that, that's just about man. But here's another thing I've learned. People want to be part of something that they think man isn't doing, but God is doing. There's, there, there's a purity about it. There's an excitement if God is doing something. So I want to go back to the story about City Church. I told a little of it last time I preached. 2008, I had, I had received this word in 2005 and about the two churches coming together and me being the pastor. And when I came to Madison in 2007, I thought that was going to happen. And last time I told the story about the end of 2008, um, I had an experience with the Lord where I really felt like he was asking me to choose between intimacy with God and city church. And I chose intimacy with God. And I, I honestly believed that city church was not going to happen, that it was a test. And I, I was passing the test. I, I choose you. You are my dream, God. Your intimacy with God is my dream. So, go on pastoring in 2008. Well, it's, it was actually 2009, because that was December of 2008. 
September of 2009, here's what happens. Brian White, good friend of mine, uh, brought up, got saved in Lake City and was around Lake City for a long time. He now lives in Michigan, but he's also a, a prophet of God. He, he sp- has spoken here. He spoke at Mad City. Like I said, he's a good friend, and he's very, very prophetic. And Brian White calls me, and he says, I'm getting in my car right now. It's a six-hour drive. I need you and John Rock to meet me in John's office at Lake City. John was the interim pastor at Lake City. He said, I, he said I've got a word from God. And I'm like, wow. Brian is not like this. Brian is the, is, he's just not pushy. He's not forceful. He's very soft. He's, uh, this, I don't know what happened to him, but we, we, I, we will be in that office. And so I called John. We were there. Brian comes in and he says, he says, uh, he says, I'm not sure. He said, I know for a fact that this word is not early. He said, it very well might be late. Uh, maybe I should have done this a long time ago, but I'm giving it right now. He said, Mad City and Lake City Church are supposed to go together. It's supposed to be called City Church. Tom is supposed to be the pastor. And he had like 10 pages of stuff that he shared with us. And so John and I went back to our two elder boards and uh, gave them the word from Brian. And both elder boards had the exact same response. Love Brian. It's not enough. It's just, Brian is Tom's friend. Uh, Just just, this could work in, in our mind. Maybe, maybe not, but it's not, it's simply not enough to take another step forward. I had no identity in it at all. I'm like, yeah, good enough. We're good. We're going to wait for more. Fast forward to February now of 2010. I'm in an FCA meeting on a Monday morning. Uh, That's our fellowship. We have connect meetings every month. And I'm sitting next to John. And after the meeting, John says, hey, do you guys have anybody at Mad City that I could ask to be our, uh, to try out for our worship pastor? Because we're gonna, we've got this list of 10 things we're going to do in 2010, and this is the number one thing on our list. And do you have anybody that, in mind that maybe could do worship over here? And I leave, I leave there, and I am so disturbed. I don't say anything to John. I just leave and I get back to our apartment. We were in a one-bedroom apartment at the time. And I, and I told Alice, I said, John has dismissed the word. John is moving on. He obviously doesn't think it's God. I'm not, I, then I'm going to let go of the word, and we're going to get a building. Mad City needed a building. I'm going to start looking for a building, and da-da-da-da-da. He left the word. He doesn't pay attention to the word. I'm not going to pay attention to the word. And Alice says, well, that's funny. He said, she said, because just yesterday, Leslie Alexander, who was living with us at the time, said that her friend said these words to her that she thought that Lake City Church and Mad City Church should go together and that it should be called City Church and that the name would be a sign to the city of what God wants to do when, when, churches come to, when his church comes together. Now, guys, you'll hear it later. This is almost the exact words that God had spoken to me in 2005. And I'm like, are you kidding me? She said that? Are you kidding me? 
I'm calling John. So I call John. I say, John, John, it seems like you guys have moved on from the word and that you guys are, are doing. He said, no, we haven't moved on from the word. We, we very well think that might be the word of the Lord. I said, well, then what, what are you doing? What is the tenant? He said, we gotta, I've got to pastor this church. We've got to go forward. I, we have to do something. And I'm like, I'm like, John, we have to let God confirm this. And he said, do you want to come and speak to our elder boy? I said, yes. He said, good, the meeting's tonight. And so I am, so I said to Alice, I said, honey, we, we, need to, we need to pray. So we're pacing back and forth. I'm pacing back and forth. And uh, the Lord speaks to me and says, I want you to tell them the prophetic word that I gave you in 2005, which you guys will hear soon. I want you to tell them what I spoke to you. And I just straight up said, no. No. That's not how it works. If I tell them, it's going to sound like manipulation. It's going to sound like I, I've got this dream and I want them to do this. I said, Lord, it doesn't work that way. I, I, we do, they do it. They vote on it. Then I tell them that this word came in 2005. And here's, here's what he says. Tell them or be forever limited to a small vision. Now, you, you, can't, you can't understand what that phrase meant to me unless you know a little of my story. In, in the 80s, I was here. I, we were at a missions conference, and Vic Martinez, uh, a missionary in Monterey, Mexico, um, he told this story. He was, he was uh, in charge of a Bible school. They had 25 acres, and it was a Bible school. He was training pastors, and in Monterey, right in downtown Monterey, right at the cross section of the city, this huge pornographic theater came up for, um, to, to be offered. It was empty. And, and, uh, and so Vic was saying, Lord, that would be the perfect place for a church. And I'm just praying. And he's just pr intensely praying that God, they were, they were selling this pornographic theater for $100,000. And so Vic is praying, God, that should be, I claim that to be a church. God raised somebody up to buy that building. And God says, buy that building. And he says to God, no, no. No, Lord, I'm, I'm seeking you right now for the finances to pay the, the payroll for our Bible school. I, I don't have money to buy that building. God speaks a second time and he says this. Buy that building or be forever limited to a small vision. So he went into town, put, it, put an offer in. Over the next month, money came in from all over the world, and that became a church, and it was, it was one of like three more pornographic theaters that were changed. All of Monterey was changed by this man's faith and by how God brought this together. So this story had a tremendous impact on me as a young Christian. So when God says, tell them, or be forever limited to a small vision i'm just like yes sir whatever this looks like who cares whatever they think of me doesn't matter i don't want to be forever limited to a small vision i'm going to tell them so we get to the meeting that night i tell them the prophetic word i know how it sounds to them i'm like so you guys just you deal with it however you want to and 
And so eventually, lots of stuff happened, but the two um, elder boards uh, eventually met, and, uh, but it, didn't, it just didn't look good. There were, there were, the cultures were very different, and I remember one specific meeting with an elder from Mad City in July of 2010. And he was the one of the Mad City elders that most believed in revival, that most desired revival, most wanted revival. And he, would, he had been wounded by something that happened at Lake City. And he's like, Tom, I can't be part of this. I will not be part of it. He said, but I'm more than willing to step down. If this is what you want to do, I'm more than happy to step down. I said, bro, you, you are completely misunderstanding my heart. I'm not saying I want to do this. But here's what I know for sure. I'm not doing it without you. Either God changes your heart or we simply don't do it. It's not that big a deal to me. If this is God, your heart will change. One month later, August 30th, 2010, we're having a meeting. There's 30 of us. All the elders, all the leaders, all the pastors from both churches are all together. And we are, everybody has, it's time. We decide one way or another. You, You can either say yes, no, or maybe. And I do not know what's going on with this guy. But we get to him. It's yes, 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 yes. And we get to him. And he says, yes. I don't know what God did. But I know that God worked in a way that all of these elders would know that it was God that was bringing this about and not man. So then we had to actually do it. December 5th, 2010 is our first service. And I, I just, I just, I did not think it could work financially. I've got a finance background. Um, there was $4 million of debt, and 600000 of it was short-term debt. We were behind on our bills, 600000 After Mad City put all of its money in, we were still 600000 behind on our bills and and I knew that I knew it going in and I'm like it didn't matter to me I I thought it would be way better because I love Lake City I've always loved Lake City I got discipled in Lake City I thought it would be better to go down with the ship rather than to be on the sidelines while Lake City goes bankrupt so I'm I'm just I'm all in we'll do it and if we lose all three buildings because they were all in the same loan if we lose the buildings we'll you know we'll meet in a school but I'm I'm, I'm in. Well, what happened? Oh, not only are we in that kind of financial difficulty, we're not taking any offerings anymore. Lake City has had an offering every week since 1931, and we're not going to do offerings. We need all this money, but no offerings. Oh, and we're not going to talk about money. Okay. Let's see what happens. And so... Through miracle after miracle after miracle. The daycare was losing money. The school was losing money. The church. God turned everything around. And of course, last November, many of you were here. We paid off the debt. All three buildings were debt free. But here's the message. It's, it's not. It's not about the debt. It's about what God wants to do now. This is point four, final point. 
Point one, Samuel knew God was calling Saul. Point two, Saul knew that God was calling Saul. Three, Israel knew God had called Saul. Here's four. Saul's enemies came to know that God had called Saul. Let me, tell, let me pick up the story. This is chapter 11. So Nahash the Ammonite is this king that besieges Jabesh-Gilead. Jabesh-Gilead is a city on the east of the Jordan. Most of the, the promised land is on the west of the Jordan, but some of the tribes had taken their land on the east of the Jordan. And so J- Nahash attacks this city called Jabesh-Gilead, and he lays siege to it. And the starvation is getting so great that the elders of the city send a message out to Nahash. And the message is this. Um, we're willing to be your slaves. We surrender. We, we will be your slaves. Here's what he says back. He says, okay. He says, but there's an additional thing. To disgrace Israel, that's his words. I'm going to disgrace Israel. We, I'm going to gouge out the right eye of every male. That's got to be part of this. To disgrace the people of God, I'm going I'm to gouge out the right eye. And the elders of Jabesh Gilead say this, give us a week. We're going to see if anybody will help us. We're going to reach out and see if anybody will help us. Um, give us a week. And then, if no one will help us, then we will submit to your conditions. Do you know what Nahash does? Go ahead. Go ahead. Send your message. I'll give you a week. Go ahead. He is mocking the people of God. He is mocking. This is a time that Israel was very divided. It was the time of the judges. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. He is convinced that the people of Israel will not help them, will not come together, and he wants to show how disgraceful Israel Israel is and, quote, Israel's God because they can't do anything. He is mocking the people of God. So they, they send these messengers out, and one of them gets to Saul. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. And he cuts up this oxen into 12 pieces, and he sends a piece to every tribe in Israel. And he says, this is a message from Samuel and Saul. Whoever does not come out and join in this battle will become like this oxen. And the Bible says this, wherever this message went that Saul had sent, that the fear of the Lord came on the people of Israel. Not the fear of Saul, not the fear of Samuel, but the fear, the genuine fear of the Lord. And it says that the people came out as one man. Now here's verse 11. Here's, Here's the end of the story. What happened? The next morning, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. When the people of God came together as one, the enemy was so defeated that not one Ammonite was left with another. So what's that got to do with us? Everything. Right now, the church in America is being mocked. It's being disgraced. It's been called irrelevant. 
it's been called dumb, stupid. The enemy is convinced that the church cannot come together, that we're hopelessly divided in our pride and our little pet pittances and we're just as divided as the world is. And he's mocking the church and he's mocking God. So here's what I believe. I believe God is raising up City Church in this region to be a corporate Saul. I believe he wants to bring us together and he wants to anoint us. And he wants to do something here that is so recognizably God that everyone that hears it, the Spirit of the Lord comes on them and the whole region comes together and that there's a revival in this region that is so great that not one demon is left with another. That the, that the lost are saved, the sick are healed, the oppressed are set free and that God does something in our day and in our time that could only could only be God. This is what I believe God's end game is. I believe that the financial miracle was an aid for us to believe for the, for the real reason he made City Church. He didn't make City Church so that we would pay our bills and keep the ministries going. That was not his purpose. He's got a much bigger purpose, but it's an aid. It's a tangible aid that he did that miracle. And anybody that knows the story knows it was a miracle. But that is an aid for us to believe for the bigger miracle, which is region-wide unity and revival. Now you say, Pastor Tom, why would God go through all that trouble? Why, why, if God wants to bring unity and revival in this region, why doesn't he just do it? Folks, I don't know why, but for some reason, God wants somebody to believe it before it happens. He wants somebody to believe in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the division, in the midst of that. He wants somebody to rise up and believe him. He wants to anoint us to believe. So, why don't I read to you what happened in 2005? Um, September 5th, or September 24th, 2005, to, to give you a little background, this is a Saturday. I'm writing on that Saturday of what had happened to me that morning, that Saturday morning. But Wednesday before was when God first spoke City Church to me. He said he was going to bring Mad City Church and Lake City Church together and make them one church. I said, Lord, that'll never work. There's both of them are too invested in their own identity. What would it even be called? And he said, City Church. And he said, you're going to be the pastor of it. And I'm like, okay. Well, the next day I got up and I was so filled with shame that I, was, that I thought I was so important and I, I was com absolutely convinced that I was deluded. How dare, how dare I think this? This is, this is delusion. This is boredom. This is whatever. And I just, re I refused to tell my wife about it because it was so, just, it's just a sign of my own pride. So here it is, 2005. Here's my journal. I was dealing with self-condemnation for being so arrogant to think God wanted to bring two large churches together under my leadership 
that I wouldn't tell Alice about City Church because it seemed so presumptuous. How dare I think I'm so big and important in the kingdom? This morning's reading was from Ephesians 3.20 from the Living Bible. He is able to do beyond what we even dare to ask or think. The word dare caught me. Lord, are you saying you've got something bigger than what I've dared to think? I thought about City Church again. What a sign and a wonder. Have two large churches ever come together before and surrendered their individual identities? I thought about how close Mad City was to getting property so many times and hadn't yet done it. I prayed that God would confirm with his peace that he was doing this or bring a check in my spirit. I felt his presence and only peace. And then I was going to ask for a sign, but stopped. I'm so dogmatic when I think I know something and everyone else doesn't. The best sign would be to speak to the leaders of both churches. Then this happened. I looked over to the table lamp, and the mug I had grabbed was the Mad City Church one, but it was turned perfectly, so what was staring at me was just City Church. Then I began to have a stream of thoughts bigger than I had had. Mad City and Lake City coming together are a prophetic sign. City Church is not just the name of the new church, but the vision God has for his churches in the city. One church, different tribes, coming together in love and prayer that releases a citywide move. The churches coming together and joining as one are a prophetic sign pointing to revival in Madison and to cities across this land that embrace the citywide vision. City church is supposed to be a catalyst for region-wide unity and revival. Did you know in 2011, our elders made a crafted prayer? A crafted prayer is where, is where instead of you telling God what you want him to do, you ask God what he wants to do, and then you make a prayer around what God wants you, and then you ask God what he told you to ask him. That's what a crafted prayer is. It starts with what God wants to do, not with what you want to do. And here's part of our crafted prayer, that we would be, that City Church would be a catalyst for unity and revival in this region. God used Saul as the catalyst for the Holy Spirit to be poured out so that the, the whole people of Israel would come together and become one so that he could accomplish his bigger purpose. All right, so I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to tell you about the dream that I had Friday night. I'm going to come down on the floor, but I'm going to stay socially distanced, so don't worry about it. I didn't stay socially distanced in the first service, and I got yelled at, so I'm going to stay close to here. Here's the dream. I am on this bus, and I know the bus is City Church. <laughs> and I come up to the front, there's a man sitting there on the bus, and I don't recognize him. And I said, how did you get here? Here was his response. It's my time to shine. That was his response. And when he said, it's my time to shine, Two thoughts 
immediately came to me. The first one was this. That even though this person was new to City Church, they were not new to this vision of unity and revival. They had been carrying this vision for years. And it just happened that in this hour, the the lost donkeys brought them to City Church. It just happened that circumstances brought them here. But even though they were new to City Church, they were not new to this vision. They had been contending and carrying for this vision of unity and revival. That was the first thought that I had. The second thought I had was this. Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. Arise and shine, for your light has come. There's darkness covering the whole world. Deep darkness is on the people. But the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I want you to notice something about this text. It is not... Arise and shine, the world's light has come. It's not arise and shine, the church's light. It is personal, your light. Your light has come. There's deep darkness on the people, including on you. You know about the deep darkness, but the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's personal. It's startling to me. He didn't say it's, it's, it's our time to shine. He said, It's my time to shine. What does that mean? It means this. God is calling you to sign up. This isn't about everybody else. This isn't about Pastor Tom. This isn't about the leadership. This is about you. God wants you to be part of this. God is asking you to be part of this. He's asking for you to rise up out of your circumstances, you to rise up out of your depression, you to rise up out of your darkness, out of your pride, out of your lust, whatever it is that has been dark around you. He's used the donkeys to get you to this place. How did you get here? I don't know. How did, how did you get here online? I don't know. But God has brought you to this place, and he wants to speak something to you right now. Here's what he wants to speak to you. It's your time to shine. This is not your time for judgment. This is not your time to go down. This is your time to shine. But to to shine in this hour, you gotta say yes. You gotta say yes to the higher purpose of God. And listen, God knows about your darkness. He's not concerned. He's saying, get your eyes off your darkness. Stop dwelling on your sins. Stop dwelling on your shame. Stop dwelling on your regrets. Look up! I've got glory to pour on you. This was my plan. It's my glory, my presence. Samuel, he's the divine Samuel. Jesus is waiting with oil to pour over you. Life has brought you here. He's got oil. This is what he's saying. Well, Pastor Tom, is it me or is it us? Listen, it's you and you're going to have a part of us. But God, God is fixing to do something, folks, in our day. But it's, it's simply not, it's not, this is our time. 
It is my time. This is all about Kairos. This is the hour. Can you see that there's deep darkness on the people right now? Is that easy to figure out? Can we agree that prophetically there's deep darkness on the people? Okay, then believe the rest. The glory of the Lord has been poured out. Pastor Tom, where does it say it? In the New Testament. John 17. Jesus said, Father, the glory you've given me, I'm giving to them to make them one. Then the world will believe that you have sent me. Then the world will believe that you've loved them even as you've loved me. This is God's plan. This is the answer to Jesus' prayer. Oh boy. All right. So Paul said, whenever we take communion, if you wouldn't mind grabbing your little communion thing. He said, before you take communion, you should always examine your heart. He said, we remember his death. We remember the price that was paid. And we make sure that our life is not treating that blood that was shed as unholy, that, that we're not insulting the spirit of grace. We, we, we're not living a sloppy, careless life, but we are honoring the price that was paid for us. And the reason why he says to examine ourselves is that if we come up short and we're not doing that and we've sinned and we've been flipping and we've, and, and we've just had a wrong attitude, we, we can make it right right now. Guys, it's God's, that's God's purpose is to forgive you. He wants to give us a new beginning. He wants to wash us and cleanse us so that he can put his spirit on us to anoint us. So let's pray. Lord, we open up our hearts right now. Come and speak. And Lord, where we have been careless, where we have been um, dark, we bring our darkness to you. And we say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, and help me to raise my eyes above my darkness to the glory of God that you are putting on me. Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Would you take and eat with me? When the supper was ended, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man. And it's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, take and drink. Could we drink together? Then could we stand? We're going to do one last song before we close. So Thursday, I had two meetings. I had a lot of meetings, but two of them I want to tell you about with leaders in this region. One was a pastor of a church. One was a leader of a ministry but does not go to this church. And let me tell you something. Both of these leaders have the same calling as City Church. They are absolutely catalysts for union, unity, and revival in this region. I don't want you to leave here thinking City Church is, is it's all about City Church. It's all about what God's doing here. God is doing this, and He is doing this here, and we need to step up. 
but we're cheering for revival and unity wherever we see it. We need the body of Christ, and however it comes, wherever it starts, we're going to be part of it. Second thing I want to say is if Jesus has been knocking on your heart, whether you're in the building or you're online, um, I want to encourage you to contact me by email, by phone call. Um, we want you to get the gospel in such a way that you have a witness. And I know that this makes it more difficult. We usually just pray the prayer and pray the prayer. But, but here's what I've learned. Um, sometimes you need to do a little more. <laughs> you need to be hungry enough to do a little more. So if, you, if, you, if he's knocking and you want to give your heart to him today, um, I'm going to ask you to contact me, and it won't just necessarily be me. Pastor Greg said he will meet with anybody that wants to get that witness within them that they are a child of God. So let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for all of the lost donkeys, all of the really practical issues in our life that easily consume us, easily grab our attention. And Lord, I thank you that you you said that you cared about them and that you would find them for us, that you would help us with our life. So God, I just pray for an assurance that you are not so big and so about your own purpose that you can't help us with our stuff. God, would you bring an assurance that you love us, that you care for us, that you want to help us with our problems? But please, God, take us higher than our problems. Take us in this moment into your greater purpose. Anoint us individually, anoint us corporately. Lord, raise up in our time and in our day a unified, revived church that takes away the mocking of this world on your church. Lord, I, I'm believing you, and it's hard to believe it maybe right now, but I'm believing, and I believe many here are, that the fear of the Lord is going to come back into this land, that there is going to be a, an awakening that touches not just churches, but the, the bars and the homes, and that Jesus is going to be not just a swear word, but is going to be like, who is this? What, what is going on? So let the river rise, and let it begin with me, I pray. In Jesus' name.